ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are continuing in our series, Big Rocks, investing in the things that truly matter. And today we're going to talk about a rock that holds eternal weight. This isn't a pebble, this isn't some sand, this is definitely a big rock and we need to treat it as that. Today we're going to talk about what it means and how to reach the lost. Now the word lost can mean a lot of things. It could be something as trite as I lost my wallet, which happens to me a lot. It can be, you know, recognizing someone and being like, hey, it looks like you've lost some weight. It can be in a new place, a new city, and you're traveling around and you come to the realization that, ah, uh, we're lost. It can be going to a memorial in a, in a whaling town and seeing a, a wall of fishermen who are lost at sea. Or tragically, it can be the doctor coming into the waiting room saying in a quiet tone, we lost her. The broad sense of this word is, is just crazy in the English language. And it's the same in, in a lot of other languages. It can have a lot of different meanings and definitions. But this morning, when we're talking about reaching the lost... We are talking about a very specific group of people. We're talking about the people who are the motivation behind our mission as a church. To glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, to make disciples. The motivation behind our vision to see these real people encounter the amazing God and experience lasting change. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're only here because somebody invited you and they promised to take you out to lunch afterwards. Or maybe you're, you come to church because you think it's kind of a noble thing to do. You're, you know, you're kind of interested in this whole Jesus idea, but you're pretty skeptical still. And then you hear me get up here and talk about, we need to reach the lost. And you're like, see, this is why Christians are weird. Like, what does that mean? Are you saying, I'm lost? I know right where I am, bro. Like, I'm here. And I just want to say this, that thanks for being here. Seriously, if that's you, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here. And I get it. We use this term lost because it applies to every single person in this room at one point in their life. Every single person in this room, whether it was before or currently, have been lost. In Luke 15, Jesus gives us a, a pretty beautiful example of the gospel played out in the story of a father and a son. Uh, in verse 24, it shows that the son of a loving father, his little context, decides that he wants to do life his own way. So he takes his inheritance and he, and he blows it on worldly pleasures. And he kind of gets to the end of the day and he finds himself literally in a hole with pigs. And he has a moment of clarity and he comes to his senses and he decides he's going to go back and he's going to beg his father for a job. And scripture says that while he was still a long way off, the father ran to him and embraced him and celebrated that he was home. And these are his words in, in verse 24. He said, my son was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, now he is found. Now, I would argue that the father is not saying, hey, I literally thought he was dead. Or I was looking for him, I had no idea of where to find him. I think the father probably knew where he could have found him. But even if he had went to him and, and tried to bring him out of the state that he was in, the son would have still been dead. He would have been lost until he came to the realization on his own. 
couple chapters later, Jesus said in Luke 19.10, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So the thing we all have in common today is that at some point in our lives, we were lost. And only through the realization of Jesus Christ dying for our sins, rising from the dead, to prove that he is God so that he can offer us something better than what this world can offer us, and that is eternal life in Jesus Christ, so that we can live not for ourselves but for his glory. And when we do that, we realize that we were created to do that thing. And it's like we were found even if we never thought we were lost. So as ones who have been found, we have a mission, a privilege to reach the lost. Notice I didn't say save the lost. This is very clearly the work of Jesus Christ. But we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to see what our role is in reaching those who are lost and fulfilling our mission to make disciples by being witnesses for Jesus Christ. We're going to read the whole passage together starting in verse 1 through 7. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel for the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Would you pray with me right now? Father, it is, it is your power. There are no words that would come out of my mouth that would hold any weight unless they are yours and guided by the Holy Spirit. God, when it comes to the idea of, of witnessing and, and sharing the gospel and reaching lost people, we realize how incapable we feel to handle such a powerful truth. Father, would you help us Would you help us understand our role in this beautiful narrative that you are writing? God, these are your people that you love. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to see. Guide us now through your word and how to communicate the truth to the world around us. Amen. There's a story of of an old barber who had gotten saved at an old tent revival meeting and he goes to work the next day and he's he's really excited to share his faith and he's gets a customer and he begins to give him a shave and he's anxious the whole time thinking about man how am I going to tell this guy about Christ and finally he, he builds up the courage and as the razor is held over the man's throat he says are you prepared to meet God <laughs> probably not the best timing but see it's true when When we realize all that God has done for us, we can all agree that the motivation and the mission of evangelizing is something we need to pursue. But if we're all being honest with ourselves, 
it can be one of the most intimidating things for us to do. Something we neglect and find excuses for often. Why? I believe there are several reasons and they're pretty much all stemming from fear. Fear of what others will think of us. Fear of failing, feeling ill-equipped, and then just plain passiveness on the subject. But if we're going to sit in a room together under the banner of Jesus Christ and declare that our mission is Matthew 28, 19 through 20, then we have to be constantly growing in our desire to reach the lost. So let's look at how to do it from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. What does it mean to have this ministry? Well, earlier in this second letter, letter to the church of Corinth, Paul has declared us to be ministers of the new covenant, explaining the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to remove the veil so that we can see and to understand the love of Jesus Christ in a way that we never did before. And now our responsibility, we are entrusted with a ministry, a calling on our lives, and it is only because of the mercy of God I mentioned it earlier, but it bears repeating because it truly is the first step in discovering how to reach the lost, how to evangelize. You have to realize that you were lost. Remember you were lost. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. Believer, God saw fit in his sovereign timing to give you the gift of faith. If you're here today and you have had that moment in your life, you understand that the core beauty of the gospel is that you had nothing to do with it. It wasn't about you. You were lost and Jesus found you. You didn't clean yourself up and get to the right spot so that God would finally accept you. You weren't interviewing for a place in God's family. You were barricaded from God's family. And then Jesus came breaking through that barricade and allowed you to walk through it. In a glorious moment of grace, faith, and belief. And now you can claim the inheritance of eternal life. You were lost and now you are found. The root of evangelism is in this understanding. So we do not lose heart. On the contrary, when I think about that truth, I get kind of fired up. I'm refreshed. Refreshed in what? Refreshed in the gospel. That's the second how-to. How to... Reach the loss, remember you were lost, and then be refreshed in the gospel. A couple weeks ago, we had Pastor Chris from St. Paul come in and talk about recovering our awe in Jesus. Daily, we need to be preaching this gospel to ourselves. Let's keep reading in, in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 4. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. One of the most common reasons people express their lack of witnessing is a lack of knowledge. Because they don't have a firm grasp on apologetics or they can't answer every question that the skeptic would bring, they consider themselves inept to witness. One of the most tragic things we can do, though, with the message of Jesus Christ is feel that we need to dress it up, add to it, or water it down to make it more 
digestible to people. Charles Spurgeon says this, it is no part of the business of Christ's ministers to modify the truth which he has entrusted to them or to put new meanings into it which God never meant, draining away the very lifeblood of the gospel and leaving it dead and useless. But it is both our duty and our privilege to state it just as we find it and to proclaim it in as plain language as possible so that everybody may understand what the teaching of God really is. If you know enough about Jesus Christ to accept and believe and confess him as your savior, you know enough to witness. Church, be refreshed by the simplicity of this gospel. If you find yourself in a situation where you have the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, it is not up to you to somehow manufacture a story that is more compelling, as Paul would say, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is our testimony. Now, while the gospel is simple, it is not easy. And we can argue that we live in the most skeptical society in history. Between fake news and the erosion of truth, we can make the argument that just telling people about the gospel is not enough anymore. But the reality is is that nothing has changed from the days when Jesus Christ traveled from town to town proclaiming the kingdom of his father to the days of the early church to July 8th, 2018. People really are the same. Look at it in verse three. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The reality is, we must realize that lost people are blind. We must realize that lost people are blind, and this is not a, a, a blindness that affects their sight. Because you could explain to a blind person that they can't see and they would understand that. Physically, they would realize that their eyes don't work, but this is a spiritual blindness, a blindness of the mind. My three-and-a-half-year-old Mason has uh, jumped gloriously from the just the what-is-this stage to the what is this, and now tell me why it is that way stage, right? Everything has to have an explanation. Here's an example. We're driving, we get in the car, and he says, where are we going? I say, to the mechanic. What's a mechanic? It's like a car doctor. Why do cars need doctors? Well, sometimes they're broken and they need to be fixed. Well, why is your car broken? What's wrong with it? No, my car's not broken. We need to get an oil change. What's oil? Well, it's like this substance that you like help sing. And then you start to realize as a parent, I don't really know everything I should know to answer these questions. And I have two choices right now. I can either lie and make something up that sounds super smart, or I can just look at him and go, dude, I don't know, actually. I just drive it. I gave him 20 bucks. They changed my oil. Okay, it just works that way. He has to have a reason for everything. My son's mind is blinded to these things. Even the simplest things are like a revelation to him. Now apply that analogy to people in the world and then add in the spiritual battle of the sin nature and the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Not only are we born blind, but there's a natural instinct to avoid the light. 
The sin nature keeps us in the dark. Here's Jesus talking about the gospel a little bit after the most famous verse in the Bible in John chapter 3. These are verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, that is Jesus, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We have a natural instinct to avoid the light. We want to stay blind. So when we are unblinded ourselves and then we realize that lost people are blind, how do we respond? Let's look back at the text, verse 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we realize people are blind, we don't respond with frustration that you can't see. You respond with love. You respond with love so that you can help them see. Your job, your role, is not to diagnose them with their blindness. Your job is to reveal the light, to love them to a point where they can see. It's not a look at me witness. What we proclaim is not ourselves. Another main excuse for not sharing the gospel is a feeling of inadequacy to actually portray the gospel to that person. I'm not perfect, I'm no saint. That person knew me before Christ. If I were to tell them what I believe now, they'd just think I was a hypocrite. Or I've already burned that bridge with that person in a moment of, of sinful passion. I have good news. What we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ is Lord. Light can shine out of darkness the same way Christ can shine through a redeemed sinner. One of the most powerful examples of God's transforming grace in your life would be to go to someone that you have offended or hurt either before you met Christ or after and say, I want to apologize to you. God's love has completely changed my life. That's not who I was created to be. That's not who I want to be. Will you forgive me? like people will just like what this is not normal we don't ask for forgiveness anymore everyone's offended and nobody cares because the power of the gospel is not in saying the right words or doing the right thing so that someone someone will somehow come to what you want them to believe just because of who you are you're not trying to convince someone to accept Jesus Christ as your savior what is the crux of the gospel what is the thing that has helped us to see the thing that has conquered death and now triumphs over sin it is the love of Christ so that is why we respond with love and that same love is the driving force and the motivation behind our willingness to reach the lost. I was so challenged by this story from the life of D.L. Moody this week. 
famous evangelist. One day, the great preacher D.L. Moody was approached by a man who wanted to know the secret of Moody's success in leading people to Christ. Moody asked the man to, to go and look out a hotel window. Doing so, Moody asked, what do you see? And the man answered, I see a street crowded with people. Moody requested that he go and look out again. When the man had looked the second time, Moody asked, what do you see? This time the man mentioned, I see people and men and women and children. Moody then directed him to look a third time, and the man was frustrated that he obviously wasn't seeing what Moody wanted him to see. And so he said, well, what do you see? And the great evangelist came to the window with watery eyes and said, I see people going to hell without Jesus. Until you see people like that, you will not lead them to Christ. Responding with love to reach lost people means understanding that eternity is on the line. And God has called us to get the message of his love out, not by shouting in their face, frustrated that they're blind, but by meeting them where they're at and showing them what real love looks like. Listen, though, I don't want to confuse love with tolerance. We live in a world where the belief is that true love is fully accepting everything about someone and we can only truly accept them if we acknowledge their beliefs as equal to our own. God's love is not a tolerant love. It's better than that. God's love is a redemptive love. Tolerant love is just ignoring all the things that don't match up feeling a sense of nobility and pride for putting up with the things that we don't agree with. God's love is taking the things in our life that don't bring him glory and replacing them with things that do. Tolerant love is of the flesh. Redemptive love is fruit of the spirit. Loved ones, if we're gonna love as Christ's love, we're not going for a tolerant love. In a famous video, Pendulette, world-renowned magician and well-known atheist, describes an encounter with a man who came up to him after a show and, and gave him a Bible. This man had a sincere presentation of, of his love for Penn that he wanted him to know who Jesus Christ was in a handwritten note in the front of the Bible. And Penn, while staying steadfast in his atheist worldview, was moved by the genuine of this man and his commitment to his beliefs. And in this video, Penn says in a gut-wrenching, convicting challenge to everyone who follows Christ, he says this, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize, to evangelize, to witness? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you. And there's, this situation is much more important than that. An atheist. Responding with love does not mean tiptoeing around the person, trying not to offend or make things socially awkward. Responding with love is understanding that you have the opportunity to show a blind person how to see. 
So can we get practical for a minute? I want to give you five ways you can help blind people see. Five practical ways you can develop this discipline of evangelism and put the rock in the jar. Five tips for witnessing. Number one, know your story. Know your story. We've been on this for a, a few years as a church now. This isn't legalistic by any means, but having a practical, measurable thing that you can do in this area is to write out your testimony and be able to articulate it, be able to speak it from memory in under five minutes. This is a goal, a vision we set for our church that everyone in our church who calls himself a disciple of Christ would be able to do that. And again, we're not proclaiming ourselves. This isn't about your story and who you are. It's an opportunity for you to get God out in your story. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ and the impact he has had on our lives. So if you have, if you have yet to do it, it's part of our 10-year vision as a church. I would just encourage you this week, practical application of being here today, spend some time on your testimony. Write it out. Start to read through it and memorize it. Second tip, number two, take an interest in people. Take an interest in people. You want to know some of the most successful stories I have about sharing my faith? It didn't happen with me rolling up to them and dropping my Jesus sales pitch on them. Okay, I'm not trying to build my essential oils company. I'm not selling Jesus to people. No, when I take a genuine interest in people's lives and ask them good question, there's usually more of an opportunity for them to open up and then start ask, asking reciprocating questions back to me, which gives me an opportunity. Again, not looking for me to, oh, that's my end, and I drop my crafty speech on them. No, I'm looking for an opportunity to speak about what I'm passionate about. Which is the third tip, audit your passions. Third tip for witnessing, audit your passions. What grips the heart wags the tongue. Guys, look at me quick. If it's easier for you to talk about the NBA free agency than it is for you to talk about what God is doing in your life this week, you're never going to be an effective witness for the Lord. If our passions are so rooted in things of this world that when we get, start to talk about things of God that we start blubbering and it's awkward and we don't know what to say, why would anyone want to be a part of that? How is that at all passionate or compelling when you're trying to explain that the God of the universe loves you and has changed your life and saved you from eternal hell and you can barely even speak about it as if you cared? But if you truly believe what you're saying and it's obvious to whoever's listening that you are passionate, it will be better received and at the very least respected. Audit your passions. Number four, play to your strengths. This is not an opportunity to use the, well, there's different giftings, Brent. Ephesians 4 says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So if I'm not gifted as an evangelist, then it's not my responsibility. So I want to be really clear this week because God was really clear with me this week on this point. There is the gifting of an evangelist. Thank Billy Graham. And there is the responsibility of evangelism for every believer. 
The mission applies to all. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. I'm just going to read it for you quick. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are all to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. But the practices will look different depending on the strengths of the person. How are you using your strengths to share the gospel? If you're an extroverted, people fill you up, you've never met a stranger type of person, how are you using that strength to engage people in spiritual conversations? Or are you building your own thing? Maybe you're more of an introvert. You like to get to know people before opening up. Who can you reach out to and grab coffee with this week and sit and have an intimate conversation about what God's doing in your life? Do you have the gift of communicating through writing? How are you using that to share the gospel? What is your strength and how can you use it to be a witness for Jesus Christ? And then number five, use resources. Use resources. We have more resources available to us than any other generation. And it's right at our thumbs most of the time. You used to have to hand out tracks. Now we can share a post with thousands of followers in an instant. Grab some church invite cards and invite your neighbor kids to Vertical Kids Weekend. You can read books on evangelism, listen to sermons, listen to podcasts about evangelism, and you can grow in your ability to reach the lost. You can learn. You can use resources. There's no excuse. Now, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, who is sufficient for these things? Talking about the gospel and the ability to be the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. Who is sufficient for these things? Maybe you're feeling the way I feel right now. I felt all week. This kind of painful conviction and realization that you have failed in this area. You've fallen short. And then the somewhat anxious realization that like, I don't have what it takes to do this. I can't do this. I am not enough for this. I want you to be encouraged by this wonderful analogy in verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I remember in elementary school sitting in art class and it was pottery day in art class. And they hand us these... Uh, these lumps of, of clay and, and we're all trying to build some type of vessel, you know, whether it's a, a vase or a bowl or a jar. And we're going after it and we're, we're forming this thing and I am not a potter by any means. And they bring it back from the kiln and this thing is imperfect by the nicest way I can describe it. It's lopsided, the edges are drooping over. And I remember trying to take it home and like I'm holding it and you just have this realization that 
as you're holding it that if I were to like sneeze, this thing's breaking. This thing is not holding together very long and I'm sure it sat on a, on a counter for a while and either got wrapped up in newspaper and put in a box or you know, just thrown out because it's a clay pot. Never once would we have considered in my family to put the most treasured family heirloom into that pot. Or if we were to invite over somebody of, of great importance, would we have set out that pot to serve them? That's not what you would use it for. It's okay to be the jar of clay in this analogy. Because something amazing happens when we realize that despite our imperfections and our feelings of inadequacy, we have been given the most significant treasure in the entire universe. Eternal life and faith to receive it. And our responsibility, our privilege is to say, don't look at the jar. Look at Christ. Look at the power of the gospel. It's not about the jar. We get to represent Jesus' power. We get to be a representation of the power Jesus has over sin and death to declare that I am no longer dead, I am alive. I was blind, but now I can see. I was lost, but now I am found. The common misconception and fear when it comes to sharing the gospel with someone is the fear of failure. What is the end goal of telling someone about Jesus Christ? That they would ABC right there on the spot, that they would accept that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess him as their savior. You want them to drop down on their knees right then and there and pray the sinner's prayer and you're like, boom, did it, nailed it. And anything less than that can feel like a loss. Now listen, that, that can happen. You can pray with that person right there. They come to church with you that weekend. They join your small group. You start discipling them. It's perfect. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that about 90%, probably over that, 90% of the time, that's not the way it happens. There are more conversations. There are a lot of questions. There's skepticism. You maybe just get a response of, that's nice, and then you never talk to that person ever again. But a success measured by the ROI of your evangelism. Donald Whitney says this in regards to sharing the gospel, that we are like the postal service. Success is measured by the careful and accurate delivery of the message, not by the response of the recipient. Whenever we share the gospel, which includes the summons to repent and believe, we have succeeded. In the truest sense, all biblical evangelism is successful evangelism, regardless of the results. It's not about the jar. It's about the power of Christ. It's up to him. We plant, we water, God gives the growth. So here's our meditation for this week, church. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. It is God who calls. It is God who saves. It is his desire that none should perish, 
but all should reach repentance and he has chosen to use clay pots to deliver this incredible treasure of repentance to reach the lost. Our mission is to make disciples. Our vision is to see people changed. Our aim is God's glory above all and our message is God's loving gospel and it can change this city. Simple application this morning, simple but not easy. How will you reach the lost this week? Some of you sit in here and there's a, a name of a person that is just burning on your heart of opportunities that you've neglected, of situations that you've just evaded so that you wouldn't have to do this. It's not a have to, believer. It is a get to. Some of you know that you have strengths in your life that you are not using to bring God glory. You have strengths in your life that could be an amazing witness of Jesus Christ. God has given you platforms and opportunities and situations to be in that would allow you to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've avoided it for fear that you would lose that platform, for fear that you would be reviled for your faith. Be bold, church. Shine your light. Help the blind to see and the lost to be found for the glory of the risen King. And listen, if you're sitting here in you want to see. If you believe that, yeah, there's more to this than what I know right now. The amazing thing right now is there are a room full of people who are really amped up to talk to you about it. Grab somebody, talk to somebody. We'll have people down front. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you more. Don't leave here without knowing that you know what eternity holds for you my job standing in this role after preaching this message I, I would be remiss to just say that Jesus Christ loves you he died for your sins he rose from the dead to prove that he is God so that you can have eternal life in him and there's a lot of things that happen after that moment but the simple truth of that is that you can believe that today and it will change your life forever not weird not hocus pocus just the love of an eternal father There is so much. So much that we could say and, and do and the actions we need to take. God, I pray that we would walk out of here not with a to-do list, but God, with a be list. God, we just want to be believers and followers of the God who loves the God who is mighty to save. And God, this is an overflow thing. This is not a, I just have to muscle up and find the strength to do it. This is a, an understanding that we rest in the power of Jesus Christ. Help us to be your witnesses. Surpassing power is not from us. It is from you. And we give you all the glory and the praise. Use us. Send us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.